A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. My Sporting Life. Paul Coit in conversation with Mark Cavendish on Talk Sports. Today on My Sporting Life, one of our best ever cyclists and one of the greatest the Tour de France has ever seen. Born on the Isle of Man on the 21st of May 1985, a world champion on the track at the age of 20, followed by another gold alongside Bradley Wiggins in 2008 and again in 2016. As a road cyclist, he's the best sprinter there's ever been. 11 wins in his first pro season in 2005. Road Race World Champion 2011. That year, the Sports Personality of the Year and made an MBE. Olympic silver medalist. One of the true greats of the Tour de France. And just when people wrote him off, came back to win four stages in 2021, which puts him with 34 stage wins. The joint most successful Tour de France cyclist there's ever been. He is the Manx Missile, Mark Cavendish. How are you, Mark? Uh, I'm in a bit of pain, I'm not going to lie to you. Now, I should mention at the time we're recording this, um, we're just a couple of weeks on from very nasty crash in the velodrome in Ghent at the six-day meeting in Belgium. Uh, you come off the bike at speed, paramedics came running on. You had two broken ribs, punctured lung, and, and looking at you, I'd never know. How are you up and about? Just got to get on with it. Ribs are ribs. Like, ribs, they're just painful. They're not doing any health damage, really. They're just sure. painful. Um, the lung, obviously, I've got to keep a, an eye on. Yeah. Um, I'm fortunate it wasn't a complete deflation. Then you need all the drains in and all that, because then that, that's a bit more recovery. Um, but they heal pretty quickly, you know. And uh, it's almost like you could say it sounds worse than it is. Like it's not, you don't want a hole in your lung, you know. Yeah. And uh, the hole is just behind the heart, so it's hard to kind of keep an eye on and that. But it usually heals all right. And that's more of a health, that doesn't cause any pain, it's more of a health issue. But uh, I'm all right, I'll survive. Like, the, the irony that it happened with 30 minutes to go of my whole season, not just that race, my whole season. It was the last 30 minutes of my season that started well, in January, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I was due a week, 10 days off anyway. It'll just be a little bit longer. I'll be able to get, I reckon, by next week, I'll be able to have, I'll be on Swift indoors on the indoor trainer you know and uh and turning my legs again is quite good at happening at this time of the year and not kind of in the season like it's happened in the past not in the middle of the tour de france let's go back to when you when you were a kid was there cycling in the family was not nothing at all is that right nothing my brother rode like don't get me wrong like my parents were kind of supportive in sports with us they didn't push us to do sports actually quite the opposite they want us to be do something academic but uh they always supported what we want to do. 
we were always doing something like football, athletics. I did ballroom dancing even, you know. I didn't really start cycling until I was like 11. Mm. But when I think back now, oh, I was always on a bike before that. I, I was just obsessed with it. Do you remember what your first yeah. bike was? That very first bike was like this little red, red and white girls bike. Right. Had a, it was like just a little bell on the top. I think it probably did, you know. Tassels, even had a tassels basket. Man, no, no tassels. I think it might have had a basket. I'm not sure. But I had a white saddle, white, and it, it was red. And that's what I learned on. And then straight away it was BMXs after that, really. Sure. You know, um, not top of the range stuff, you know. We weren't, uh, we weren't that well off, really. Um, but, we, yeah, we always had a, a bike, which was nice. You know, we were always out on it. There's not much else to do on the Isle of Man, to be fair. <laughs> so, so how does it go from there to thinking, you know what, this this kid's pretty fast? And how, I mean, it's like a, a discovery. I don't know whether someone discovers you or you discover this. Or there's firstly, I imagine there's a will to win because everybody that I speak to opposite always has this. I need to win, even if I'm playing against the kids. I've got to win everything. Was it the same with you? That oh, growing up, I didn't had to be the best. At everything. Yeah. Wasn't always the best at everything, but I always had to strive for it. Not just the best that I could do, I had to win. I had and to hated losing? Yeah, I really did. At everything. Even if it was like the spelling test at school or something. Yeah, I had to get the most, you know. It was always competitive. But uh, yeah, the cycling, I don't know. Like, I started, yeah, like I said, I started when I was 11, like racing. And I was on a BMX and against road bikes and mountain bikes, bikes with gears. Yeah. There's, there's a league on the Isle of Man. And they get like 150 kids a, a week down there. It's been on for years and years and years. And, uh, like two wheels is in the blood over there. Like yeah. motorbikes predominantly of course. is the biggest thing with the, with the TT. The TT mountain course is 37 and three quarter miles around. And the riders must lap it six times. Here the competitors are practicing and getting used to the course. But bikes is for a population of, of 80,000. Like the amount of people ride bikes is, is quite phenomenal. And it's bad weather, you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, I went to this league. I didn't win. I was on a BMX. I was last. And uh, my mum was laughing at me, actually. She was there. She's like, like, like laughed. <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, if I had gears, you know, I could compete. Mm. And after a bike with gears for me for my birthday. And uh, it's a bit irrelevant, but the day after my birthday, it was raining, but I still went down and no one was there. It was cancelled. So I had to wait another week. I went yeah. down the week after. Um, and I won straight away, you know, down there. And then uh, the year after, I went over to the mainland UK to race, and uh, I won there as well. And then when I was 13, I went to more races. And it wasn't even a case of I was winning under 14 races. I, I used to ask if I could race the under 16s instead of the under 14s. Yeah. And I'd win them as well, you know. And then that's when, when I was like 13, like there's a difference between you know you're quite good at something, and then you know when you quite good at something does that make sense it, it does yeah of course like, it does yeah like, like straight away then like i knew this what i wanted to do so is there it goes off in you and you're thinking there's something in this you know what i say to beat everybody there's something in this yeah well really but even then it wasn't like a dream of of fame or or grandeur because cycling was a niche sport then yeah. you know a bunch of weirdos in lycra like you know there was no <laughs> there was no money it wasn't, like pro cyclists weren't rich you yeah. know you um, weren't wearing lycra at this point though were you Oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I loved it, like <laughs> you know. Um, didn't have hair on my legs, but I was still shaving them. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and uh, 
yeah, I, I was like, so then I, that was it. I made a decision. I'm going to be a, a cyclist. I knew I was, I knew I was, could do it. And like, it was doing me option for my GCSEs. Mm. And uh, the biggest team at the time was, was, was Deutsche Telekom. Was, and there was two teams. There was US Post, who Lance Armstrong yeah. rode for. Mm. And they went for the GC, the general classification, like yeah. Ineos did or Team Sky. You sure. know? And uh, then Telecom were like, my team Quick Step now or HTC in the past. They went yeah. for every win. You know, they supported sprinters. And I, I knew then that I couldn't really go uphill. Like physiologically, it, I was... I was a sprinter. I could well, do... you're, you're built. I mean, you are built as a sprinter, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Like, if you look at me compared to a normal person, like, okay, my, my bottom half is is quite muscly. Yeah, but I'm like a, a small boy on top. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but compared to the mountain guys, yeah, I'm actually well built. Like, you know, it's a physiological thing. So, did you know? did you learn this though, Mark? I mean, is there someone that's telling you all this, or is this what you're gaining as you go along and you're thinking, well, I know that this is how it works, and you're having to just do all your own research, or or when you're a teenager, you, you're within a team, and then someone's saying, you know, this is how you're built. This is no. the what. This is what you should be. You fall in when you when you're a kid, even when you're on junior, even as an amateur, you kind of win across all terrains. You do everything. Yeah, you know, it's all, not until you turn pro that you kind of that you specialise because you've got the best of the best of everything. Mm. And that's the same in every sport. You know, probably like a, a football player could play in any position when they're a schoolboy. Yeah. You, you know, they're just good at playing football. But once they turn professional, there's a better striker than you. There's a better defender. You, you, you fit into a category. And that's the same in cycling. Like, but I was always, always destined to be a sprinter. And that's why I like going back to it, like I was doing my GCSEs, and I decided to take German because I wanted to ride for, for, for Deutsche Telekom. And uh, so I learned German at, at that age, at, at 13, 14, you know. And uh, I had my, my career path mapped out then what I was going to do, you know. That's, that's, it's impressive for that age. So when did the, the Cycling Olympic Academy come? This is a little bit after that. That was, like 18, that was when I was like 18. Yeah. That was the only kind of stroke of luck thing that I hadn't planned out that came mm. in. So uh, I left school and I went to work at, at a bank. And that was to earn money. Like then, there was nothing like that mm. when I was when I was young. The way to make it was you pack your bag, and you go and live in Europe and go to races and hopefully win races, get picked up, you know, by a, by a team. So I planned to do that. I went to work at a bank and and save save money for a couple of years, and uh, I did that. And then planned to go to to Holland or Belgium, and then this academy started the the British Cycling Academy. So they'd had Olympic success, mm. and then. It was about developing the young talent. It was the next step in the process. And they started uh, the Olympic Academy and I was one of the first intakes on that. That was when I was 18. That was like 2004. And then uh, I went and I was unfit. I'd been working in a bank two years. Mm. And actually my, you had to do lab tests and that to get in. You know, like power day, data numbers, you know. Sure. I didn't really succeed with them. Um, but how I approached things was different like my brain worked different and they kind of seen that and uh they give me an opportunity just like how i described how I, they you had an interview process as well as physical kind of tests and uh i was picked more on that than the physical stuff and yeah i, I turned up i was i was the worst of everyone but then in one year i i was world champion when i turned i, I went obviously full-time then was doing that and when i could concentrate full-time on, on work you know won the world championships the year after so it was that was it then I like the 
So Mark progressed well in the bicycle boot camp. There was the British Cycling Olympic Academy. And within two years, he was world champion. I'm Paul Coyce. More on that in his dream of riding the Tour de France, which went pretty well on My Sporting Life with Mark Cavendish. My Sporting Life. Paul Coyce in conversation with Mark Cavendish on Talk Sports. It's 2003. And Mark spent two years working in a bank to try and save money towards his dream of becoming a professional cyclist. When, at 18, he's one of six young riders to be asked to join British Cycling's first ever Olympic Academy. So, Mark, how tough was this? Because I mentioned boot camp earlier, uh, but but was it basically like being in an army for cyclists? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Um, We had to live with, with the other riders. There was six of us, I think. And then, yeah, it was we had one bike to race and train that we had to so we had, it was down to us to look after it you take for granted as a professional but we weren't professional sure. but most amateurs have that now that it's like professional setup but it really makes you now I can look back and appreciate how you have it as a professional it's like having to clean the boot like you know in the old days mm, it's like old apprentice you, footballers you, you, exactly yeah. when you're an apprentice you had to clean the. I don't think that happens anymore does no, it do you know what I mean but it that. makes you appreciate when you have it Sure, it's exactly the same principle as that and uh and yeah, so it was like we, we were. If we stepped out of line, we the punishment was extra training, yeah. you know. So obviously we're getting better at that. And where some people kind of could see that they thought that was spiteful that we had to suffer more. Like I seen it as it's, it's all helping us. Like it was all to make us better, you know. I, I embraced. I loved that. I like a regime anyway, a, 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 a plan, thing how things go, and. Uh, I kind of thrived off that, I guess. What, what were you looking forward to here, Mark? I mean, are you thinking, I want to do this at the Tour de France, I want to do that, or is it just, I'm going to take it as it goes and I just want to be as successful as I can possibly be, whatever that is? Or was there a plan? Because you say you like plans, was there somebody yeah. that you're aiming for? Well, it changed, obviously, because I said, like, this, the academy wasn't part of the plan that I'd set up. But yeah. my dream was to ride the Tour de France, yeah. was to be world champion. Like, that was what... I'd said, you know, and uh, yeah, like I said, I, I won the Worlds in a year, so that was done. <laughs> and uh, then it was about turning professional, like it was about turning professional on the road. And uh, I turned professional for, for Deutsche Telekom, <laughs> you know, what, what I'd said maybe six years previous. And yeah, that was it. I, I, I don't know, it's hard to talk about because it, it, just, it just seems normal, I guess, you know, it's what, well, I, what I wanted to do, I did it. See, so. the thing is, it's always interesting when I talk to, to people that are so successful in sport, and it's almost like, and we'll, we'll get to this point where all of a sudden it's like, you know, everybody knows you, but does it just carry on? It's just like your job, this is how life goes, I just carry on, and it's just this stuff seems to happen around me. Yeah, well, it, it seems is, to be? It always is like that. Yeah, like yeah. Even, I know we're going to talk about this year later. Yeah. But it's like the amount of people say, oh, things fell into place for me this year and the stars aligned. Mm. I made them align. Like, yeah. And I hurt myself in the process doing it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I flew around space with no oxygen, burning my hands on stars to put them in the right line. <laughs> yeah. Do you know? Yeah, very and right. that's what I did when I was young. I knew where I wanted to go. I made sacrifices to make it happen, you know? Like there was a time when I was, when I was 14, I finished school on a Friday mm. and I'd get a, like a, a hold all, fill it, put on me back like a rucksack and then I'd have I'd be on my road bike I'd have me track bike my velodrome bike no brakes fixed gears and that in the other hand no really? and I'd ride down to the ferry and I'd go on the ferry you see on the ferry with the truck drivers and that yeah you get over at night like I lucky like I had friends there that I could stay with in, in Liverpool or some day I remember one night like just 
waiting all night in the train station, you know, at Lime Street, and then getting the train, the race I wanted to do, and uh, doing the race, staying over, doing another race on the Sunday, getting back. And if you won the race, like, instead of having a butty or a sandwich or something on the boat, I could get sausage and mash, like, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, getting a ferry overnight, getting in early hours, and going to school on the Monday, you know? I just did it, and at the time, it didn't feel like I was making a sacrifice. It's just mm. what I had to do, you know? And you're learning all the way through, I guess, and mentally as well. Oh, and, d- and also growing up as well, doing it. Really, it gives you so many life experiences, like, 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 like lessons, not just yeah. for your sport, but for, for everything, you know? Like, 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 like I said, I'm a father. I've got, got four kids, and determination resilience is the biggest thing I want to instill into them. Mm. Not necessarily determination to win and be the best, to have a drive to do what you want to do without boundaries, you know? Especially my daughter. Sure. I've got a daughter who will obviously, unfortunately, have barriers close to her because she's a girl. Mm. Do you know? And uh, I've got a strong wife that also is a massive influence on her to give her the ability to, to do what she wants to do in life, you know? And uh, But with, with all the kids, like, as long as they commit 100%, I'll support them in whatever they want to do, and uh, but all I ask is that they they commit, you know. So, do you also look back at years though? Do you look back and go, "That was a great year. I'm very proud of what I did." Because I'm thinking of like 2011, and I mean it was a heck of a year for me. Wasn't it? it really was. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. Yeah, it's crazy that it's ten years since then, isn't yeah, yeah. it? You know, um, you were just a kid, Mark. You were well, just a kid. I was. Yeah. What, what what stands out when you think about that? Was it was it the worlds? Was it the rainbow jersey? Was it the I mean, all with the sports personality of the year, right at the end of it. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get onto the tour as well a little bit later, but but what stands out when you think about that? Yeah, winning the world title on the road is is a big thing, you know. That's a, that's an exclusive club, I guess. First you know, time in about 50 years, wasn't it? Yeah, for, for a male, for a, for a British yeah. British male rider. But uh, I don't know, it was, I don't know. I've, I've been fortunate to be part of some of the most incredible teams both professionally and like like my professional teams and, and my national teams. Yeah. Um like that that world championships we had myself, Bradley Wiggins, Chris Froome, Steve Cummins, Geraint Thomas, Ian Stannis, that's the David Miller, like the, the biggest names in uh, the golden era of, of cycling, you know, the the evolution of, of cycling mm. and in, in, in this country. And uh when I think of that, I, that that's pretty special, you know. I've had some incredible teams and uh and so I can just be, I can just be happy. I can look back and just be, be happy and content. I guess you know, without kind of picking something out and and uh, basking in it. Yeah, I don't want to bask in it. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Can you tell me though about that sprint, the final sprint? We, when we're talking 2011, you got the team with you, and I could, and, it, and it's all. I know people have said about this photographic memory that you have because you remember every turn, uh, every stra- everything about every course. Do you, are you like that when you look back and you think of it now? Yeah, I can still remember. I, I still remember losing the wheel of Geraint, who was my lead-out man. Um, Matt Goss, who was my professional teammate, he ran for Australia. I lost it to him. Like, I was squeezed between him and the barriers. I didn't want to crash, so I, I backed off. And Cavendish is, uh, is sitting a little bit uh, far back at the moment, and it's going to get very tight on the barrier. Very, very tight indeed. This is super nervous. And then uh, waited for a gap to open, moved a couple of wheels up. Then there's a right-hand corner, about 700 to go. And then the road kicked up. Like It's uphill. If you look at that, if you look at that road as a normal person, you go, that's a hill. Yeah. 
you know. I'm guessing this and, is uh, not what you want at the end, right? Is no, it hill in front of you? Not really, but the the length of it, the speed we're going, mm. it needs to sprint. I can sprint up it, you know. And uh, yeah, just waiting. And I was there maybe 10, 12 back. Uh, Garrett Thomas looks over his shoulder to see where Cavendish is and he's sitting uh, behind the Australians at the moment into the final corner. Is he too far back? He almost collides with the uh, Italian. He's going to come a long way around at the moment of Phil Stannard. It's Matt Heyman at the moment of Australia. Yeah. Setting this up, Heinrich Hauser on the outside. Cavendish is about 10 back. Oh, but there's going to be a few lead-out men, the guys that pull their sprint to the end in front so they're going to pull off so it's going to knock me forward a little bit yeah. and then the wind was coming from the right so the, the bunch is going to just naturally kind of swirl to the left Heinrich Ausler drives he's going for the line now and look on the left hand side of your screen that's where it's at like to kind of get out of the wind and so knowing that and hoping that is the case and just waiting for a gap to open and uh, present itself and then and then go and that's that's what I did Cavendish has made his way through Well, fortunately, I won, you know. Fortunately, it's more than fortune. But but when you see that gap and when you go for it, is this when you think, this is what I love? Is that in there, this is what I love doing because then you just put the afterburners on and you're away? Not really. I can, I can be romantic and kind of talk of it like that. It's quite the opposite. It's is it really? unemotional when you're doing it. Yeah, you know, you, you, you're just doing a process. You're putting a process into, into action. It's it's quite boring, really, and just doing it. And what then, about when you cross the line, though? Yeah, then it all goes. <laughs> out. And that's yeah. why that's why you get like an outpour of emotion if you win, like ridiculous overkill and how much you're celebrating. You know, if you if you lose, then you know it's you can see that as well. You know, and like with cycling, we're such a open sport to to media. You don't have a you don't go into the into the change rooms to cool off and come out and do a press conference. Mm. Like everything's there immediately, so you see yeah. that, and, it, and that's what's beautiful about it. You know, like I think as fans of sport, something I've learned actually quite recently. I was always consumed in what I was doing, and I knew people watched cycling, and uh, I thought they were watching me live my journey. But you're in your bubble. Most sports people are like this, you yeah. know. Like, I can tell you, most football players think that fans are watching them play on the pitch. Mm. Or is it not? Like, fans are on the pitch with them. Yeah. You don't. You don't want to watch people's emotions. You want to feel those emotions. Mm. As a sports fan, that's what. And if you're a sports person, yeah, you disassociate from yourself as a sports fan. Well, I mean, I'd be sitting at you home, know? going, "Go on, Kev, go on, Kev." <laughs> I know you can't hear me, but I'm there when I'm doing it. But it's been, do you know, it's been the most beautiful realisation, understanding that and feeling... How, how recent is that then? This year. Oh, is that right? And really, well, since I wasn't able to do it, really. Not just, this, I've felt it this year since I've been winning. Yeah. But I've understood it the last years when I wasn't winning, when I wasn't competing, when I was I was a fan, not a, not, a, not an athlete, do you know? And uh, I'm starting to get all, like, expressive here and it's hurting me really. Yeah, so go easy. I'm going to have to calm down a bit. <laughs> Well, relax, take it easy, because when we return, we'll discuss the greatest race of them all with the man that's won more stages than any other in history and the greatest sprinter there's ever been, the Tour de France, next with Mark Cavendish on My Sporting Life. My Sporting Life with Mark Cavendish on Talk Sports. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. My Sporting Life. Paul Coit in conversation with Mark Cavendish on Talk Sport. Mark has had a huge 2011, became the first British World Road Race champion in 46 years. He's made an MBE, win Sports Personality of the Year, and his 20th Tour de France stage win as well. But before we focus on the Tour de France, Mark, which we'll do in just a second, uh, I've got to be honest with you, I was working at the World Cycling Championship um, 2016 in London when uh, a distinguished cycling journalist comes up to me and says, I'm just off to interview Mark Cavendish, but I'm not sure <laughs> how he's going to be. And he seemed a little nervous to speak to you. Now, we meet him for the first time today, and we, I think we get on very well, but, you know, there, there are rumours that you've been difficult over the years, and, and there's there been times when maybe the press have rubbed you up the wrong way. I don't think it's well, a press. What do you think? It's not. It's not. It's individuals. It's the same. Like it's the same in anything. You yeah. know. For in, like, I'm a cyclist. Yeah. And how many people are going to be listening to this in their car and just think, "Oh, he's a cyclist." Like I hate cyclists. Do you know? I don't know now. But because there's the odd dickhead on a bike. Yeah. And it spoils it for other cyclists. There's the odd dickhead in a car that spoils it for other drivers. So then yeah. drivers hate cyclists. Cyclists hate drivers. Likewise. My profession, you got good journalists. Like I said before, you've done your own work, you know. And I give everything to my job, you know. And I, I expect that other people give everything to their job. And I will answer questions. I don't like doing interviews, hmm. but it's my job to do interviews, hmm. do you know. And if you can feel like it's a conversation, and someone respects what you're doing, that's. Uh, that's nice. They're doing their job well. Like if they if they're just looking for a, a bite, or they haven't done their they, they, they haven't done their research, or it's sure. they're not doing their job. It's disrespectful. Not not necessarily to me. Mm. It's disrespectful to other journalists. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because you're giving journalists a bad name, and uh, it used to really rub me up the wrong way. Was Tour de France tiredness a factor, perhaps? No. Stop asking stupid questions. Do you know about that? Don't get me wrong, I still don't like it now, but 
I don't let it bother me now, if that makes sense. You're, you're, I'm, you're comfortable now, though. Well, I'm, I'm 36 years old. When you're 20 years old yeah. and you don't understand it and you've never had media training and you've been institutionalised for a few years, like I said, you're in your own little bubble as a sports person. You get older, you get married, you have kids, you have hard times, you suffer illness that ruins your career, mental health issues that ruin your career. You get a different perspective on life. And things don't bother you in the same way, you know? And although like, I don't like it, if if uh, if I don't like the things that I said before, what we'll say media do, or like I don't take it personally. Yeah. Like, I did, you know, I, whereas, whereas I was fighting the world and taking things personally, I'm sure. 36 years old now. Like, um, it's, the world's different. And, and uh, ultimately, it's individuals, it's not the media. Do you know what I mean? And like, it, it has to, there's no, and also I understand now, there's no smoke without fire. Do you know, there's a reason I'd feel like that, whether it's my own chip on my shoulder or whatever. Like I said, there's no smoke without, without fire. So Let's talk about the Tour de France. You and the Tour de France... Yeah, you're going to be forever linked. You know, you, you are going on in history. Long after we've all gone, you're still going to be linked with the Tour de France. Does it live up to every expectation when you go to your first Tour de France? I remember that. I don't know if you've seen... you ever seen that there's an old film called Breaking Away? And it was yeah. an old cycling film. And I remember... Um, and I always remember seeing it years ago. And I think uh, uh, Dennis Quaid was in it. And it was about this young cyclist. And he was desperate to be a professional cyclist. Enrico Giamonde spends eight hours a day training to be the finest racer in all of Italy. 20th Century Fox presents Breaking Away. And the moment he got involved in this race, and there was an Italian team who he had pictures of on his wall... It, it kind of shattered into pieces because nobody really wanted to know him and they were thinking, who's this kid coming along? Was there anything like that with you when you went into your first Tour de France? I mean, sure, you, you've, you've been known and people knew who you were, but what was it like for you? Did it live up to everything you wanted it to be? Well, it helped because I was in the biggest team in the world. You know, like, my first Tour de France started here in London. The 2007 Tour de France, beginning today with a prologue of just under five miles, Arguably, they are two of the most interesting cities in the world, an end in Paris and a first ever start in London. And the Tour de France has taken over the center of the city and one by one, all 189 riders will begin their journey today, which will take them to Belgium, France, Spain and on into Paris. So there was a kind of expectation, I guess, which was odd, but I was way out of my league. Sorry, way out of my depth. Did you feel it? At the Tour de France, yeah. Like I'd asked to go, I'd been winning all the races throughout mm. the year. So I'd ask the team if I could have a shot at going on the tour. This is what you always wanted to do. Yeah, and uh, ultimately, like honestly, I lasted nine days, crashed twice, and I was out of my depth. It's the only event in the world in cycling that you have the 200 best bike riders in the world all at the peak condition of the year. Mm. And the consequences of winning are bigger than the sport. It, it transcends the sport, that, that race does. And... Uh, Actually, it did the opposite of what I'd have imagined. You know, I, I, I could have been quite disheartened by it. But I thought at least I knew the standard I had to be for the next year to go, do you know? Whereas if I'd, if I'd been at the level and not been successful, I probably would have been more disheartened than if understanding I wasn't at the level and I had to get to that level, you know, and uh, understand the work that I had to do to, to be able to, to get to that level. Like I thought I was good because I'd been winning all year, but I wasn't good enough for that, you know. But so. You know what, but again, that, that I, I'm sounding like the psychiatrist chair here, but I'm just so interested to hear what you say, that a lot of people, this is another thing that the wins separate 
elite sports people to think there's a challenge there. Instead of thinking, you know, that's it. I've done as far as I can. So what did you do then to make yourself better then for the next time you went in? I trained harder. Just harder? I trained, I like, I was always naturally, I could sprint, mm. you know? That wasn't the problem was the sprinting. It was getting to the sprint. And so I had to lose weight, which meant, watching what I ate it sounds stupid because as a cyclist you should it should be normal when you're young but mm. there's a difference like talent can take you so far um, I'd always worked hard but I evidently weren't working hard enough you know so that extra hour that dessert that you cut out here and there it's, it all adds up you know and uh, that's how I, that's what I did and as well you get something from doing a full year, full year as a professional makes your body stronger that mm -hmm. you can build on the next year, mm. you know? And so that all helped. I was another year stronger anyway, and I could build on that. And that was thanks to doing, say, the Tour de France. Like even just nine days, I'd got a depth in my endurance that I hadn't ever had before because I hadn't ridden the Tour de France. Do you know what I mean? I hadn't ridden nine days consecutively with the best bike riders is in the it, world. Is it truly like no other race? It's horrible. Is it is it horrible? Uh, really, like horrible but beautiful. We did a meeting this year and before the race on the Tour de France, and uh, there's two guys in my team, and I ride for the most successful team in the world hmm. for the last ten years. They've been the most successful team in the world every year, and so they're the best bike riders in the world. Two of them have got the, done the tour, and I explained to them that they won't ever look at cycling the same again after the race. Was it a warning? No, not a warning. Like, I don't know. I just go off on it. It, it just transcends cycling. You have cycling and you have the Tour de France. You ask anybody. You, we go out of this building now and ask someone on the street, name a bike race. They're going to say the Tour de France. Of course. Even if they don't know anything about cycling. Mm. Or even say to someone, name an item of clothing that is given to a winner of a sporting event. They'll yeah. go yellow jersey yellow for Tour de France. Jersey. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it transcends cycling. And uh, the, just the significance of it is it's just... It, 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 the, the consequences of winning and losing are that much more because of that, you know? And the, the effect it has on your body, like it's three weeks for a reason, you know? Your body can sustain metabolically for two weeks. And for a third week, it starts going catabolic. It starts eating itself. That's why it's three weeks long, you know. Well, I know. Like that. it's a, whoa, like it, it's it's an endurance test. Like I think a lot of sports, they're games. You compete and you win. Cycling, and they evolved as games. Yeah. Cycling evolved. They in the in the past, cycling was always it was endurance tests, mm. and then obviously racing came that made it more of a game. But it still holds that tr value of it's it's a test. It's an endurance test. Is it is it harder yeah. though, Mark, as a sprinter, to be doing the Tour de France or anything else? Um, I think physically, yes. But then again, our opportunities to win are make it m more worthwhile. If that makes sense, yeah. Do you know there's there's fewer riders can win sprint days than can win other days. If that there's mm -hmm. there's more riders can win different days sure. in the mountains. You've got fewer guys as well. But they're kind of if you take the whole Tour de France and break it into mountain stages flat stages other stages I think you have statistically you have a, a better chance of winning a stage as a sprinter than a, than another one so ultimately why what makes suffering worthwhile that's a reward at the end of it 
on anything, not just cycling. Like if there's a reward at the end of suffering, anybody would do it more, wouldn't they? Like it, not just necessarily physical suffering, but the reward when you've worked hard for something is is sweeter, isn't it? Is the reward good enough for what you're going through? Honestly, winning a stage of the tour as a bike rider, can't talk for anyone who doesn't ride a bike, but as a cyclist, like seeing that red banner coming towards you and no one passing you, it's, there's no feeling like it. Like I often get asked like always about winning one more stage of the tour, stuff like that. And because I've won 30, it might seem like it's easy, but actually, because I've won 30, I'm the one person that can attest to how hard it is to win a stage. You know, like 95%, 99% of bike riders in history have never won a stage of the Tour de France in mm-hmm. their whole career. Mm-hmm. And the guys that have won one in their whole career, it's made their career. Then there's, you could, you'd be able to name riders that have won two stages or more of the mm. Tour de France in their career let alone the guys that have won two or more in one tour. So I think I'm I'm well educated to be able to say how hard it is to win a stage I, of Tour de France. I think you know? that's fair to say. And uh, it's f***ing hard. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> let me, let, let the old... See, I'm going to be the... You see, the, I'm going to be the old romantic again about this, but the times that you've won in the Champs-Élysées... Does it? Is there a level? Because I'm imagining you're going to say each one they're just as important as each other. But to go down the Champs Elysees on that last day and win that stage is that is that more special? It, it, it must feel with the crowds around it. It must be the ultimate. Right now into the final two bends, a left-hand sweeper followed by the right-hand sweeper into the Champs-Élysées, and that's when you've got to be in second or third position. Now where is the Max Missile? There he goes, over the top. Somebody just launched him, and forget it, because Mark Cavendish is streets ahead of the Tour de France when it comes to a sprint finish. you got kids? Yeah. How many kids? I've got two kids. OK. Each of my kids have qualities that I prefer for them than the other kids. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But I love all my kids the same. Yeah. But some of them have different qualities that I prefer than the other one, if that makes sense. I yeah. don't prefer the kid than the other one, but I, I know prefer I prefer my daughter's caringness compared to my, my three-year-old who, who doesn't care. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I like his sense of humour. I still love my kids. Do you know? Like, all the same. They just have different qualities about them. Yeah. And that's the same with the Tour de France. I'm not, I'm not even comparing my Tour de France wins to my kids I, they, they, I know that's what incomparable I but, know what you're saying I you know, know what I'm saying I know exactly what songwriters say the same thing about <laughs> this song what's the favourite song you've written they're like my children <laughs> so it's the same thing with you and Tour de France stage wins still to come Mark faces debilitating illness depression and being written off and then the historic comeback of the Tour de France 2021 I'm Paul Coit or when we return on My Sporting Life with Mark Cavendish My Sporting Life Paul Coit in conversation with Mark Cavendish on Talk Sport. By 2016, Mark was one of the world's greatest cyclists. He'd won 30 stages of the Tour de France, won world championships and Olympic medals and had a huge amount of well-deserved success and highs, but lows were just around the corner. Now, Mark, by the end of that year, something was wrong and he came into a very difficult period of your life. And over the next four years or so... You had a lot to live with and a lot to put up with, didn't you? It's not been easy, but I can't profess to have harder times than than, than other people the last couple of years. Everything's especially, relative, you know. But yeah, a physical illness that I couldn't ride my bike. I had Epstein Barr virus, which most people have Epstein Barr virus in their system. And it sounds like honestly, before I had it, again, I was like, I remember my teammate 
had it what, 10 what is years it for ago. Those who don't know? So mm. Epstein-Barr virus is the it's what causes glandular fever. Mm. And uh, most people have glandular fever when they're teenagers, you know. Mm-hmm. But you never lose the virus. It stays in your body. It just goes kind of dormant and it flares up. It's a coward disease that can flare back up if you're physically, emotionally, if you're stressed. Any stress, it, it'll, it'll take its opportunity to, to rise again, you know. And it's not uncommon in normal people, but mm. endurance athletes, it's a lot more common, you know, because you, you're under physical stress a lot. You so it's, like it's, it's when you run down, basically. Exactly. It just hits you then. Exactly. Yeah. And it can lead to chronic fatigue. And, and, uh, usually, it, and like it, most people have anglidin fever, when, you remember how tired you were when, mm. when you had it. I had a big year in 2016. I wore the yellow jersey. I won four stages of the tour. I was world champion on the track. I was second in the world championships on the road, second in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. But that change in between the track and the road is, although it's bike riding, it's bike racing, track and the road, it's, it, they're completely different sports. You know, they com- it's like rally and Formula One in motor sure. racing. They're, 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 they're both car driving, but they're different. Mm. And yeah, it t- took its toll on me, but I didn't know at the time, you know. Then I started 2017, I wasn't, I'd been training good, but I, I was tired, I couldn't race, and eventually I couldn't even, just walking up the stairs and I had to sleep, I was sleeping 18, 19 hours a day, and uh, yeah, like most people, I thought I'll have a month off, I'll be able to come back, and I did that, but it, it, it wasn't nice, like you can't do anything, it damages your relationship with your wife, with your mm. kids, and uh, I'd trained to come back, and I managed to get back for the Tour de France a few months later, and then... I was crashed out by Peter Sagan and broke my shoulder. That put me off the bike again. I started training again a couple months later. That was 2017, wiped out. Started training for 18 and things didn't feel right over the winter. And I was like, I'm sure something's still niggling there. Who do you talk to and at this point? Is there the team doctor? The team doctor. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, like, I don't want to go into it because this has been such a positive year. I want to keep things positive. We're going there. Do you know? We're going there. But, don't uh, you worry because I just want to... It, it's the juxtaposition between no, the two. No, no but we've got to talk about it. There's medical negligence there. Oh, all right. You know? Okay, fine. And uh, ultimately, I was told I was okay and I wasn't. And as a sports person, if you don't think you're good enough, your instinct is to do more. Mm. Or me, anyway. If I'm not where I want to be, I'll train more. And you need to rest, right? Exactly. It's the exact opposite of what you need to get over Epstein Bar. And uh, so it was in my system that, that that whole year, 18, and I couldn't do it. I got eliminated, time elimination at the Tour de France. So every ride has to finish within a certain time of the winner of a stage of the Tour de France, just so you're not riding easy on the stage you can't win. That's the only time in my career I was outside that time limit. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't win. And yeah, I discovered I still had Epstein Bar virus. You know, coupled on other things, and like I crashed on my head. I'd had a few crashes, and yeah, things were falling apart, and I developed depression. You yeah. know, I got diagnosed with clinical depression, and uh, actually, that's that's kind of karma because you asked a year previous, you asked me about people with depression, I'd have gone, it's an excuse, mm-hmm. like snap out of it. What you want about? <clears throat> want you just want you just looking for sympathy and you're looking for attention. You know, that's how I thought of it. You know, and uh, like it's your job to deal with pressure. It's everyone has pressure in their life. That's how I thought, and that's why I'm quite, uh, I'm really passionate about talking about mental health issues now, because I was that person that didn't think it was serious. Mm. 
you know, and uh, it was so damaging to me. It was so damaging to my family. It was so damaging to people around me. I'll never be the same person again that I was before. You just learn to deal with it. How long was this for? How long did this last? I don't know. Until I could deal with it, it was... I don't even know how long I had it before I was diagnosed. Do do you know what I mean? You you don't know. And you can't put things in perspective. You either don't have feelings for anything or you have every feeling in the world for everything. You're just completely irrational. And it's not something that you you have control over. It's a a chemical thing in your brain, you know? And uh, things that should bother you, you're flat. It's not like they don't bother you. You don't have the capacity for them to bother you, if that makes sense. Mm, Then likewise, like I use a a true example that there was a spoon with a bit hadn't been cleaned properly once and it it ended up snowballing to the end of the world. You know, it's kind of like, well, this, this spoon's not clean. Someone's not washed it. Someone has done like done that to, well, they don't care that it's not washed. They're going to make me ill. They want me to be ill. They don't have the respect to clean this spoon. Nobody's got respect for me. No one cares about mm. Do you know when you start mm. feeling like it's completely irrational? You need to talk about it, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And it's on, it's on, it's on the onus of somebody who's suffering to talk about it as much as it is for people to ask if someone's okay. Yeah. Because one thing you think, you, you can sometimes think that nobody cares. If nobody knows, it's not that they don't, they care or don't care. They don't mm. know, mm. you know, but it's not like, it's hard because it, it's almost as if you're not aware that they don't know or you're not aware that you haven't said anything. It, it, it's so hard to paint a picture of what it's like because yeah. you can't describe what it's like. You can't do it because it's so irrational mm. and so different how you should be able to describe something but i can preach that it's real and that if you're looking from the outside you have to take it seriously if someone's suffering because if if you don't take it seriously it's not just doesn't help them get better it's detrimental you know and uh likewise if you think you could be suffering you need to you need to see someone you you really do and it can be a professional it can be someone else i i find Somebody who has also suffered are the best people to talk to because they can understand to to a degree, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'd talk to the end of Earth about it and it's, it's painful talking about it. Like, it, was, it, it didn't just nearly destroy my life, it nearly destroyed my family's life. And uh, But you have to you have to take it seriously and I say it because I didn't take it seriously before. Mark was racing again, but in October 2020, surprisingly, he was dropped from Bahrain McLaren. He finished the Ghent Vervelkum race in Belgium with no team, an unsure future, and as he crossed the line, even he thought that his career was finished. Mark Cavendish, I can see it, and it was a really hard, hard day for you. I see you're getting emotional. How, how was your day? That's perhaps the last race in my career now. So I'm a little bit. Do, do you really think this is your last race? Maybe, yeah. Mark didn't give up. He spoke to different teams with no joy, and then along came Patrick Lefebvre, Mark's old friend and the boss of De Kernick Quickstep, who signed Mark on the proviso that he would earn minimum salary and had to bring his own sponsor to the team. Now, racing in the Tour de France was really unlikely until an injury to teammate Sam Bennett left a vacancy for the 2021 race for lead sprinter. It seemed the stars were aligning again, and Mark what did this tour feel like then after what you've been through and, and what was your overriding thing? It was an appreciation. It was, it was a, a not taking it for granted. 
which I'd kind of, I'd never taken the work that's needed to do it or the racing. Yeah. But I'd taken the whole experience for granted because I did it every year. And then when you don't do it, you miss it, you know. Um, and don't get me wrong, like, it's, it's enjoyment, I enjoy it, but it, it's hard. It's not an enjoyment like going to cinema or, you know, having a nice dinner. It's, 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 it's an experience. Was, every, was everybody pleased to see you? Were, were, were there names that are there? That, that, you know, it's Cavs back. It's great to see you. I know Pogaccio was a, was a huge fan of yours when, when he was growing up cycling and now he's this cycling star and people, it's like, you know, dad's, I, dad's home. Is it, How was it? How was yeah, it, it was really nice. Like, it really was. It felt a lot more, it felt a lot, I felt a lot of personal connections with people in in the peloton you know yeah because most of the guys there that race i hadn't raced with all year do you talk in the peloton i was yeah and we'd like but i hadn't raced any big races that year it was my first world tour race yeah. i hadn't raced at the highest level all year yeah and then all of a sudden i was i hadn't like so you have you have cycling then you have world tour cycling above that and then you have the tour de france is even above yeah. that i hadn't ridden a world tour race i'd been ridden lower rate lower ranked small races all year and then all of a sudden I'm at the tour, so most of the guys I didn't race with all year, and it was super nice, you know. Um, yeah, everyone. But you know what I felt more than anything was the public, the French public, the British public, like cycling fans, non-cycling fans. I really felt, really, I really truly felt like people were with me, like on that journey with me, like really felt connected, which I hadn't done before, mm. and it was so heartwarming. Like, it makes you appreciate being a sports person so much more, you know? And I, on every sports person I ever say, I, like, kind of push them to kind of try and embrace, try and embrace the fans, like, like that you, you don't do unless you, when you take it for granted, you don't do it. Like, fans are, make the sport. That's what sport is. That That's what sport is. It's what football is. It's what cycling is. It's the fans. That that's why it exists, you know. And if you can embrace it as a sports person, wow, it, it it's so much more human. And four more children as well on that twenty twenty one. What was the first child like? The first that stage four win. I mean, that must have been <laughs> my goodness me. No, well, it it made. Get me wrong. It wasn't any more special. <laughs> Sorry, oh, but, come but on. it made. It made the last year's worthwhile. Cavendish is there. Case Bowl is there. Who's going to win in Fougere? Is it going to be Cavendish? Cavendish takes the stage. Wow. What a finish. Cavendish is back. The Max Missile wins in Fougere. Never, ever write off the man who's won 30 stages in the Tour de France because now it's 31. You know. Whether it was relief, whether it was, um, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know the word. It just made everything worthwhile. Yeah. All them hard times. Like, I knew, I knew I could do it. I knew. Do you know? And it's hard. I, I, you can see my face scrunching up as I say this. Like, and no one believed I could. And I knew if I just, the pieces were in place, I could do it again. And uh, it made it all worthwhile, all worthwhile. Like it was, it was incredible. It was, it, it was incredible. Like 
it was remarkable to watch <laughs> to be that person I can imagine <laughs> from what you've been through Mark and, and I see the, the, there's that great picture of you hugging or Eddie Merckx hugging you mm. as well and, and and I know you've also said that you the number to break the record it doesn't mean that much to you is that right because I'm looking forward to next year and thinking and everybody's going to be looking at you thinking are you going again it wasn't a, it wasn't even a record till I started winning a lot of Tour de France stages because Eddie was so far ahead of everyone yeah. No, it wasn't ever talked about. Do you know? Like, it was just because it, was, it wasn't attainable. It wasn't talked of as a record. Eddie just won 34 stages of the tour. Then all of a sudden, like, I'm come close to that so that I could break his. But different riders, different eras. And uh, Eddie Merckx is Eddie Merckx. Do, do you know? Um, like, let's like say, I know what it takes to win one stage of the tour. And if I can only win one more, if I can't win any more. I can win 50 more I'll just do my best to try and win more that's that's it <laughs> you know 2022 then I hope so it's not down to me they'd be mad too I'd, wouldn't they <laughs> watch this space yeah ah, don't get me wrong if I could do the Tour de France every year for the next 50 years I'd jump at the opportunity I'd commit my life to it like that it means everything to me on in in a professional sense obviously my family mean everything to me more so in a professional sense, the Tour de France is, is my life. And I would, if I could do it for every, every every year for the rest of my life, I'd do it. I hate it. It's, it makes me suffer. But it's the most incredible emotion you can ever get as a, as a bike rider. It's what you dream of as a kid. And uh, if I can take people on the journey with me, if one person gets inspired to ride a bike more, from that of one person gets inspired to dig in for what they want once more that makes it better tenfold you know that's something that that means so much more than than standing on the, the podium with, with a medal like. Mark what a way to finish thank you so much for sharing your sporting life with us thanks so much thanks for having me here. My Sporting Life on Talk Sports. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.